0: Welcome to the Scriptures are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that help them become more real to us, because we believe that the more real they are, the more we can apply them to our lives, and we need that application. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm very happy to have with us uh, now a common uh, co-host uh, that we've had with us a number of times. Uh, this is Josh Matson uh who teaches uh seminary as uh, we've talked to him before he has de- degrees in um I think Sea scrolls in Hebrew Bible and so on I'll let him introduce himself we he was with us kindly last uh, year to talk about uh some of the minor prophets and also Malachi well he's also a minor prophet but um anyway we're just happy to have you on welcome Josh
1: thanks Carrie it's great to be back and uh, I I'm grateful to spread my wings a little bit as it were out of the old testament and into the new
0: yeah that's right and well and you lived in israel and studied there for quite a while so you're very familiar with a lot in fact you lived up in the north which is closer to where a lot of these parables were given so you're familiar with the area and the culture
1: yeah and and it's interesting carrie because the year we happened to live in israel was the year that they uh rolled out come follow me for the church curriculum yeah which was new testament right It was. So if you remember in 2019, when we rolled that out in January, uh, one of the things that we tried to do as a family was to take advantage of that and to be in the locations as much as possible as we went through the Come Follow Me study. And so uh, especially living up in the north, our branch, uh, well, our area that was part of a branch, um, we took in most of uh, the northern part of Israel, which included the Sea of Galilee and the cities like Nazareth and uh, Tiberias, and we had that opportunity to be in the places where the Savior's mortal ministry primarily took place, and so uh, I'm excited to be able to talk a little bit about that today as it relates to our section of Come, Follow Me for this week. Ah,
0: Wonderful, yeah, and and, uh, I love that area as well, and so let's, uh, uh, especially with parables, it can make a lot of this stuff become very, very real. Okay, before we get going, let's just kind of give some bullet points as to what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about parables in general, what they mean, why Christ uses them, what we should get out of them. And then we're going to get specifically into the parable of the sower. We're going to tie it into things President Nelson is teaching us about. uh, And we're going to tie it into really how it hits our souls and affects us in everyday life and what we can go and do about it as a result. So I think those are some fun things we're going to talk about. It So let's jump into it.
1: Yeah, and uh, one thing that's of interest is actually this categorization of parables. Uh, I think one thing that I do as a scholar is I try to help people better understand definitions and the way in which things work in Scripture. But one is this idea of parables. And for most uh, scholars of the ancient world or, or individuals who pay close attention to that word, Uh, A parable usually is a story with a specific meaning, just one meaning, uh, where on the other end, we have an allegory, which is something that every component of the story has some meaning to it. And uh, as we look here in Matthew 13, one of the most famous chapters of parables in the New Testament, those two definitions kind of come at a head with each other. And it's interesting because sometimes we approach the text and we want it to be an allegory. And other times we approach the text as a parable. And I don't think we have to strain it in that, as it were, uh, to be able to understand which is at play here. Uh, But it's helpful for us to look at it in those definitions and say, as I read a parable, what is the meaning of the parable? Or as I read this as an allegory, I can take each component and make it useful to my understanding and my learning.
0: Perfect, very good. Yeah, because, uh, and you're right, we don't have to straighten it out. I think that we can have, uh, with uh, among what we're about to talk about, there may be a a bit of a spectrum on that, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes individuals who get to this section, they might become overtly um, preoccupied by what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with an allegory? Are we dealing with a parable? And being able to just state at the outset that it's not necessarily important that just because as we read in Matthew chapter 13, verse three, and he spake many things unto them in parables. And so we don't have to just say, okay, we can only read what we're going to read from this point on with a single meaning, but we can expand that. And I think that's the beauty of studying the scriptures is that we can have definitions and we can have interpretations of the text, but they don't have to be the same every time we read the text or they don't have to be, uh, what everyone else sees within the scriptures. That's part of the wonder of them is we read them differently at different times and at different places of our lives. Perfect.
0: Perfect. And, uh, and maybe we can, uh, since you're you're talking about that and we're doing a little prefacing, maybe we can also just kind of go, uh, it's here in Matthew 13 when they ask um, him, well, it's in the middle actually, uh, After he, and he gives them a parable um, and uh, y- you get them asking, why are you speaking in parables? And of course, I'm going to love this because he quotes Isaiah to them. well, it's close to a quotation. And it says Esaias, but that's just the the grecified version of of Isaiah right so that's he's saying Isaiah um, and he quotes Isaiah's call right so if we were to do Isaiah's call whenever I teach that people are like what a weird call that he's supposed to speak <laughs> so they can't understand and I always refer them here but here I think it's worth referring back to um, Isaiah as well um, where he, he says uh, so verse 13 well verse 12 for whosoever hath so we're in Matthew 13 verse 12 whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. We actually get that in the parable of uh, the talents, the same kind of principle, right? So he uses a parable to teach his answer to why he gives parables, which is fun. But uh, verse 13, therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, or Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Uh, And he goes on in verse 15, talking about the people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and be healed. Uh, So that's important, Isaiah, that he says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear, right? So the point is is not I don't want anyone to be converted and be healed, which is sometimes how people take it. But it seems to me at least part of the point, and I'd love to know what you have to disagree or, or uh, add to this. Um, part of the point is for those who are willing to hear, who really are, are willing to open their eyes. And so we could almost say are willing to do what President Nelson has said and figure out how you hear him in the parables. Right. How is God speaking to you through the spirit in the parables? If you're willing to actually listen and and look that God has some things He'll teach you, and if you learn that, then the next time you read it, He'll have more He teaches you. Or the next time you're acting on what you learn, He'll have more to teach you, and so on and so on. But for those who are unwilling, they're they're going to not only not understand the parable, but soon they understand less and less. And and I know plenty of people who used to understand the the gospel well, and as they've turned away from it, now they they understand it hardly at all um uh, we we do lose the truth we have if we don't act on it so i i think that's worth to, as we talk about parables it's worth bringing up this kind of isaiah quotation and the notion of why he's speaking in parables and and let's put it this way uh this goes along with the definition of parable and allegory in a way a parable or an allegory they're both extended symbols right just an extended long symbol uh and so the 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 all the beauty that comes with symbols of them being able to reach us on so many levels and teach us again and again, or we just don't get it, is carried into parables. And and uh, we're about to hit the season of parables in the New Testament. So uh, it's worth our committing ourselves to wanting to put some time and effort into this and hearing him through the parables. So that's my take on it. I'd love to hear your rebuttal.
1: Yeah, well, no, not a rebuttal, but maybe uh, um, being in concurrence with that is the idea that um, what you're saying is this idea of intentionality. Yeah, uh, And I think when we contextualize where Matthew 13 comes, um, right in Matthew 12, we just get done with this story where the Savior is teaching in a home where there's not even enough room for people to get to him, including his mother and his siblings, yeah, And so they show up to this house and there's so many people in this home, Matthew. Uh, and and again, I understand that these chapter breaks and verse breaks are a modern thing. And so having the, the break between chapter 12 and chapter 13, we sometimes lose the cont- continuity of what's happening. But Matthew 13:1, the same day when Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. So it's contextualizing it with where it is. Jesus is becoming very popular yeah. and people are wanting to be in the presence of Jesus. And so being able to demarcate and say, okay, who are those who are being intentional and who are those who are following maybe for other reasons?" Now, what
0: I which love, which will be about a recurring this, theme from here on out, actually.
1: Yeah. And uh, even up until we get to Jerusalem, right, we'll have throngs yeah. that are going to welcome him on, on Palm Sunday in the triumphal entry And then we're going to see those crowds start to wither away to the cross when we only have a handful of women in John who are standing there. Uh, And so this idea of Jesus building a following, I think he's trying to say it's not enough just to follow. It's Mm -hmm. not enough just to hear. It's not even enough just to eat with us. But you've got to take the next step. And I love that you talked about President Nelson and hearing him. The other word that I've heard a lot from President Nelson is the word intentionality. Mm. Uh, how much intention are we giving to it? Again, I don't mean to go back into Matthew 12. But I find it really interesting that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, he talks about this idea of idleness. He says, but I say unto you that every idle word that a man shall speak, they shall give an account therefore in the day of judgment. That Greek word there, argon, is not just idle, but casual or lazy. And so the Savior is giving a warning in Matthew chapter 12 that I think we can carry over to what we've just read in the middle of Matthew 13, which is these people need to know that there is an expectation. And that expectation is something that you disciples have taken upon yourself. This is why he's going to bless them and say that I have said this for you and you understand. Because they're willing to take that intentional step beyond just casually following the Savior.
0: Uh, that's so good. And and while we're on a roll, and I see you've got my juices flowing here. Uh, while we're on a roll, I'm thinking <laughs> of, of President Nelson and, and what he's teaching us. I mean, I'm just thinking of more and more. Of what he's teaching us that goes so in line with this right so uh with the intentionality and his uh, telling us things like okay quit getting so much of your information say from social and other media you'll be deceived that's a phrase he use instead make more time for christ right that's that intentionality i am going to consciously uh, have less idle input less idle output more making time for christ which is intentional input intentional output right and that creates this spiritual momentum that he's talked about, right? And, and the spiritual momentum ties really well into what we were just talking about with the the parables and symbols and everything about the gospel. Once you start receiving or hearing him, and so you really receive an act on it, then he'll give you more and then you act on that. And that's the kind of momentum that he's talking about. So then you start saying, you know what? There are some of these things that I used to think were great, these idle things, now I don't think are so great. And I actually, eat these other things that are intentionally bringing Christ in my life, I enjoy those even more. And that's the kind of momentum where you get the more godly you become, the more that momentum increases to become more and more and more godly. And that's exactly what I think he's talking about with when he says to him that receives or receive more and him that doesn't will be taken away even what he has. Because we're going to have worldly momentum, right? We're going to have either spiritual momentum or worldly momentum. It's pretty hard to just stay in the same place.
1: Yeah, and and as you say that, Gary, one of the things that that strikes me is the fact that we get to choose what kind of momentum we create. Yes, and and that's the choice. Everything that we do, uh, everything that we choose to focus on in our lives is pointing us in one of those directions. Are we building momentum towards spiritual things? And as we build that momentum, that gets easier for us to be able to engage in. Or do we build momentum for worldly things? And that's where I think sometimes we say, oh man, it's it's really hard for me to open my scriptures today. I'm just so busy. I've got all of these things going on. I think that's a sign to us that maybe we need to be looking at where our momentum is going. Um, uh, is good. because it's when we have that momentum, we, we find that it's easier to continue to push along.
0: Uh, very good. And I, I would say, I mean, look how much we've talked about without actually even getting into a parable yet. In so many ways, what we've just been talking about is perfect for the first parable we have in Matthew 13.
1: Yeah, um, and and so I think we can jump in when, when he, he says this. So in Matthew 13, if we start in verse three, uh, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, uh, I actually, I maybe, what wondering... if I
0: interrupt you first and just I want to tie in uh verse two with what you were talking about earlier i think part of the reason he is getting on a ship and going out is to accommodate the bigger crowds right and now that he has accommodating the bigger crowds this parable is actually even more meaningful because as you said we've got to figure out who's really going to pay the cost of discipleship and who's a casual or idle disciple and so it's i don't think it's a coincidence that at the same time that he's taking this setting where um a uh, huge it going out of the house where a limited number of people can hear him to where a huge group can hear him. That the first thing he's going to teach is what you were talking about. So sorry to interrupt, but but yeah. why don't we now jump back into what you're no. seeing and and go there?
1: Well, and I like what you did, and and Carrie, you actually set the setting really well, and I I love the idea. We don't know for sure where this happened, yeah. Uh, but I love the idea that there's a number of places along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, where you have almost a natural amphitheater-type setting, uh, where one could sit in a boat and speak uh, towards the hillside and and the winds coming off of the sea uh, carry that voice to the, that multitude. And uh, I think the setting is important. Uh, again, we don't know for certain, so I don't want uh, any of our listeners to think, oh, Josh can take me to the exact spot where this this event took place. But I like to imagine there's a great little trailhead uh, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee that uh, takes you down to a natural spring um, where you're able to see the water flow into the Sea of Galilee. But there's a trail that goes right along the North Shore. And there's many times where uh, when we were living in Israel and when I visited again, I love to go to that trail because once you get um, past that natural spring, You're able to kind of get into the quiet, and you almost feel as if you're transported back into the times of the Savior. There's not the bustle of the road behind you because all that sound is being carried up the mountain. Um, And you can seclude yourself enough that you can see a natural, pristine setting. And that setting can be instructive for what we're going to read, because in that spot, you can see a lot of the elements of what we're going to see. So I'm grateful that you actually stopped us and said, hey, let's think about the setting a little bit Uh, and whether or not it's on that actual trail uh, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee isn't really problematic because you can see what we're talking about there. And that actually leads into what I wanted to say with verse three. So here, when the Savior starts, he says, behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, I, uh, by academic nature, am one who loves to compare texts. And so one thing that we have is we're going to read the parable of the sower as it appears in Matthew 13, uh, but we have this parable in three other ancient sources. So we have it in Luke, uh, and it's actually a section that we have already looked at in Luke, but this is uh, taken from, um, I, I noted it here, Luke 8, 4 through 8. Um, as well as Mark chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. So we have two other gospel accounts of this parable. And interestingly enough, an admittedly later text, uh, but in the gospel of Thomas, we also have this parable that's recounted. So uh, admittedly a Gnostic text, uh, but nonetheless, uh, another attestation of this teaching and the expanse in which this parable was important and so when we compare these together i think we can get some other interesting insights and one that comes is when we look in luke chapter 8 verses verse 4 um the savior doesn't say behold in that verse he says listen mm-hmm. and so what we're getting set up here is that we see in matthew the savior asking giving the imperative to behold to look And in Luke chapter eight, verse four, we're getting the imperative, listen. So it's not just listen passively. It's not just look passively. But when we compare these together, we get both of them. And then interestingly enough, Mark doesn't give us any of the imperatives. Uh, And so Mark's statement instead has nothing to do with what we should do. Uh, Mark, when he gets to this point, uh, simply, oh, I apologize. That's wrong. Mark says, listen as well. Uh, had to double well, actually, check my, I think it's Luke that doesn't there.
0: say it. I've okay, seen so, it in Luke, so I think it's Mark that says it, but not Luke.
1: You're right. You're right. So I've gotten my Luke and my Mark mixed up. So, That's right. They
0: look. Th- uh, they they both look a lot alike. It's easy to confuse the two. So.
1: <laughs> so you're right. So it's it's Mark that says listen. It's Matthew that says look, and Luke just says here's the parable. Uh, and so the idea that we get a change in the words that the Savior is giving here. Um, is instructive uh, for us to be able to say that we're not just looking, uh, we're not just reading, we need to listen. Or we're not just listening, we need to look. Um, and so I really like those imperatives. I'm now going to fix my my note in my scriptures that I wrote Luke equals listen. I guess it was the L and L that threw me off. Oh, no, look, that's go. cool. Luke said, listen, no, Mark said, listen, Luke doesn't give us an imperative. Uh, so... Uh, I like the idea that we can compare these these accounts to one another to be able to get additional insights and being able to dig a little bit deeper. Perfect. All right, keep going. Okay. So we start with this idea of the sower going forth to sow. Now, uh, if we're just listening, we might confuse this with the idea of sowing a piece of cloth. But uh, we're talking here of an individual who's going forth to throw seeds and so a sower is one who simply throws seeds that they might land and plant. And um, this is an interesting parable or a way to look at this. Uh, in our Western mindset, when we think of planting, we think of very intentional planting. Uh, that one plants, they dig a hole and then place the seed in the hole and cover it back up. Uh, but here the sower is simply pulling, as I like to tell my students, um, a, a Johnny Appleseed. Just going around, throwing these seeds wherever they're going to go. Um, and at first, that sounds careless or cavalier. Uh, so this sower is just simply going out and taking his bag of seeds and throwing them wherever they're going to land. Uh, but as as we pause, and and maybe we'll just, as we go along, get the meaning instead of doing what the Savior does here and tell the whole parable and then come back and give meaning to it, is... If we see the sower here as the Savior and the seeds that the Savior is sowing as his teachings and word, I think, again, it's instructive that the Savior is willing to teach anyone, anywhere. Hmm. And the Savior's words are intended for all nations, kindred, tongues, and people. Is that this word is meant to be scattered far and wide, and however it gets scattered, it doesn't matter. But the word itself is supposed to be proliferated to, oh, <clears throat> the, the word itself is supposed to be thrown wherever it is to go.
0: Very good. Very good. And there are different kinds of seeds you plant in different ways. Like some you you plant carefully, others you toss like Fitch and Kuma and so on. You just uh, toss those out. But uh, I think that he's intentionally chosen that kind for the very reason you're talking about. So,
1: yeah. And so, so if we, we get at that start, the idea here um, is that these teachings and the interpretation of these teachings are intended to go forth to the whole world. Yeah. Uh, we're not creating an in-group out-group, um, that, that if there's any in-group out-group, it's those who choose, as we'll read here in a minute to accept it and those who choose not to. And so, uh, I want to just emphasize that. I think that because it can get a little hairy there when we look at verses 11 and 12, that the savior seems to be saying, okay, there, here are those who I will give interpretation to and here are those that I won't. Um, to go Book of Mormon, very layman and Lemuel-like in 1st Nephi. The yeah. Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. No, that's not what the savior's teaching here. Uh, the, right. t- the, the whole teaching is I want everyone, but you yourself are going to choose. Are you gonna be intentional? Are you gonna build spiritual momentum? Are you going to be choose to be part of the group that's going to receive this?
0: Yeah. And hear him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good.
0: And and Very what a good. great
1: phrase. Right. And so now we get uh, into uh, verse four. Uh, one thing I like to do in my scriptures uh, is I like to actually demarcate where each of these sections are. So in verse four, I've circled some seeds and we're going to see that this same kind of idea is going to come. If you look uh, in the King James, one of the things I do appreciate about the King James text is the word seeds appears in all italics which means that that was added and isn't in the original Greek manuscript. Right. And so what we do have is the word some. Yep. And so we see the word some in verse four, the word some in verse five, the word in some in verse seven. So that's going to give us our breaks of these various different uh, types of soils. Um, While well, we call this the parable of the sower, I love what President Oak said that it might be better known
0: as the parable of the soils yeah uh, because i agree the, that's the, the
1: sower's doing the work
0: yeah 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 the emphasis is on what kind of soil you are not who the sower is so
1: yeah the sower's already proven himself now it's up to us um to be able to decide what we are so with that in mind we can go on and say okay what am i uh verse four am i one that is by the wayside uh now wayside here um, maybe a little bit of a, a foreign term to some people, uh, but wayside here is the sides of the uh, the path or the walkway. Um, and it's not the side as it were um, all the way off, but on the pa- pathway to the right or the left, I, I couldn't help but remember sometimes when I'd walk on a sidewalk or a path, uh, naturally as human beings, it seems, we never really walk in the middle of a sidewalk. Hmm. Um, and oftentimes we don't always walk in the middle of a path we always choose one side or the other to allow for someone to pass. Uh, And uh, in antiquity, it sounds like that's the same thing, is the wayside is the side in which somebody's giving the right of way or letting uh, somebody walk by. So it's the side that's a little more trampled.
0: Yeah, it's Um, back down.
1: Yeah. Uh, So it's like the left and right side of a walkway, maybe a dirt path that we might walk frequently. Uh, I know where you're at, Carrie, at BYU, these paths kind of seem to creep up in the springtime in the middle of Large yeah. grass fields,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Where all the students shortcut across the grass. Yeah, and, and maybe on occasion me, but I'm not admitting to that. Sorry. Right.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to incriminate you on on your uh, own podcast. I right? self-incriminated. <laughs> yeah, all right. But but this is what we're thinking is this is packed down walkway area. It's not very good for things to to sit on because they, as we see in the rest, the fowls came and devoured them up. Uh, there was no way for that seed to be able to find ground because it's so hard and compact that it's easy for a bird who's looking for a, a quick snack to be able to come down and eat it before anything ever takes uh,
0: root. Yeah, because it just can't sink down in the soft soil because it's not soft.
1: Yeah. So now one of the things, and this is one of the parts where maybe I'm, I I like to read uh, a little into it is verse fifteen, as you read earlier, Carrie, uh, is that it talks about the heart. Uh, and it's interesting how many times the heart is mentioned in that verse. Uh, and so I think that there should be a connection between verse thirteen and what we're going back to in this idea of the soils. And if we read this parable as the seed being the word of God uh, and the soils being our heart, um is our heart compacted? have we already closed off our heart to any teachings? And have we already said, no, we have enough, or we are what we are. Uh, and whenever something new comes, it it simply falls on top of and waits to be devoured by the next distraction. Um, and and so that first step in the parable, I think we can tie it to verse 15 and say, where is my heart when I receive new teachings? Mm. Uh, and, and the first warning is, is if your heart is closed off, I've already learned everything. I've already read the books. I already went to seminary. I already went to institute. I already took religion classes. Then we're cutting ourselves off from being able to learn more. Uh, And we just see a seed in this, um, but I love the idea of some. It's not just one. There's multiple seeds. Uh, And so there's a lot of teachings that are simply sitting there waiting to be devoured by any other idle distraction uh, because we won't give place for it and it's simply on a packed area that we've already concluded has been finished.
0: Very good. Yeah.
1: Um, and so um, kind of taking that same theme, we can continue into verse five. Some fell upon stony places. Now, when I read this uh, as a kid, I used to think that why are they throwing seed on a stony path or on the concrete? Um yeah. But in antiquity, these are just places where there's a, a an amount of dirt that's on top of the, the the stone. But anything that tries to grow on it can't grow because the stone stops it from taking root. Right. Um, so the, so the stony place is a place where there is dirt, but there's a, a very thin layer of dirt on top of a stone or stony places. Yeah.
0: Good. or or there are a bunch of stones that haven't gotten pulled out of the the field, right? So there's some dirt but they're stoned at either side or whatever. So again, the roots can't really spread. So you, you get some of both of those.
1: Yeah. Um, and so the idea here is is that and and, and forgive me for maybe getting a little too uh, poetic, but in this point, I, I, I actually think of a little bit of hypocrisy here, right? My heart, my, my reception of teachings is actually really stony but I'm going to put on the perception for others that, you know Mm -hmm. what, I'm willing to receive teaching. I'm willing to receive correction. Um, But when it springs up, uh, when we start to see that that word is, is starting to bear fruit or is going to encourage us to do something. uh, It meets that stony heart that says, no, 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 I'm good. I don't need to change. I don't need to accept this teaching into my life. Um, I can stay as I am. And um, and so that layer can be a lot of things, uh, but I think a lot of it is putting on a, a face, putting on a mask, uh, putting on a self-personification of something that we actually aren't art. Uh I want to look like fertile soil, but um, deep down, this is where I really am at.
0: Good. And that's, I think it's important as you think about that, to think um, that this hypocrisy I mean, sometimes when we hear hypocrisy, we think about intentional hypocrisy. Well, I think most of the time that's what we think about. And sometimes that's really what it is, that there is someone is intending to look this way, but they they know they're acting another way. They're just trying to fool everyone. But I think just as often there's an unintentional hypocrisy or maybe even more often, which is um, I do believe that stuff, but I only believe it to the degree that it doesn't impact some of these other values or desires that I have that are contrary to it, right? So, yes, I'm, I, I really do believe that we should uh, behave this way on the Sabbath day until it pushes against something I really like doing. And then, see, and th- this maybe comes back to another President Nelson teaching which one prevails more in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that often we don't intend to be uh, hypocritical. And I don't want anyone to feel bad about this because let's be clear, we're all hypocrites in one way or another. Everybody there except for christ there are no exceptions so god knows that that it's in the plan so don't give up on yourself all right we're not trying to make everyone feel bad but if we're going to get better we do have to give ourselves a good hard look in the mirror and say huh am i sometimes really excited about this principle and i hold to it until it gets a little bit hard or it makes me change or it makes me uncomfortable and then i give up on it and i think that's kind of what he's talking about here so yeah. Right. And, and it and says fir- in his interpretation, he receives the joy with uh, the, the word with joy, but anon, when some persecution or something difficult happens, he gives it up. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and to, to just support that statement, I think it's really interesting that in that phrase in verse five, they sprung up. Mm-hmm. And the phrase in verse six, when the sun was up, uh, we can't see this necessarily in the English, but in the Greek the same root word on a is used in both of those. Mm. And so it seems that for a Greek audience who's reading this text or hearing this text, they're going to make that connection that both the springing up of the seed and the rising up or the coming up of the sun are the same word. Mm. And I think that that can be instructive for us of how many, and, and I think of a, am a sports guy. I love, watching sports you know we're uh getting ready for march madness and things like that um but one thing that i love about uh, sports is you have your committed fans and you have your fair weather fans yeah um and, and and that exactly can be seen here is that that springing up or that excitement is predicated upon the weather if things are good if things are going well uh then i'm a fan of this team and things are going well or i'm going to to follow these teachings that I have. But uh, as you already quoted from the interpretation, if there is a persecution that comes up, if there's something hard, if there's a hard teaching or there's a, a piece of history or doctrine that ha- that comes up
0: that I conflict with yeah, then, church policy or practice or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Then I start to say, no, that, that excitement's gone. Uh, and because there's not a root or a determination of on the part of the soils, on the part of us, to let that seed get deeper into our hearts, um, the consequence of it is the fact that it springs up and it withers. And, and so we, again, I love this idea of this parable being self-examining. Um, where is my heart? Where am I when it comes to receiving new teachings? Um, am I one who's kind of fair weather if the teachings look good? Uh, if it's going to get the good press in the newspapers, I'm all for it. Uh, but if something comes up that that's a little hard to understand, am I going to pay the price to let that take root within me so that I can get a full understanding um, of that piece of doctrine or teaching policy or practice uh, that I'm trying to gain a better understanding of?
0: Perfect. That's good. That's Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves
1: so um so good that covers our second type of seeds uh that are coming and then um verse seven picks up with our third and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them Uh, i think the timing here needs to to be understood uh according to this it, it appears that the seeds were placed there first and then the thorns came up these weren't intentionally placed in the thorny areas yeah um
0: or at Is least it the, wasn't it, thorny there. May have been some thorn seeds there or something else, but it wasn't apparent, right? It was it looked like yeah. it was good, but and they started to grow and then the thorns grew. Yeah. And, and we've again, all had that ta- happen in our gardens, right? Every single person <laughs> here has had that happen. So yeah, we get it.
1: Yeah. And if we're talking about the soil being us, um, I I think again, going along with this self-examination, um, are there thorn seeds that have already taken place in some of us that might grow if we cultivate them um if we're not willing to weed our gardens when we see the first sign um are we letting those things those thorns maybe a good way to look at it within this this allegory is uh, are there teachings from the world that we let have place in our heart that will give precedence or be stronger or more nourished than the teachings that we're receiving from the gospel
0: Oh, that's so good. And so important. And that, that speaks to, and and I actually uh, misspoke. I shouldn't say every single person here listening has had that. I'd say every gardener. Okay. Anyone who's done a garden (laughs) has had weeds come up. Right. And, and that's, that's instructive because every single person listening will have thorns come spiritual thorns come into their life. The, The things from the world that are contrary ideas that are contrary to uh what the gospel teaches it's it's inevitable as long as you're living in a fallen world it will happen right uh and it doesn't have to come from the world it can come from our own fallen natures as well that's inevitable right and so the question is uh when you recognize that it's a weed and you won't if you're not looking to see that it's a weed if you're not looking to say what's a weed and what's a plant and that's true in gardening as well as in this if you're not if you're not going to stop and introspect and think you're just you're not going to recognize hey this is not godly this is an, an outside idea and then we have that question which one is going to prevail more in your life uh, is yeah. God going to prevail more or or the word are you willing to pluck those ideas those desires those notions those values out of your life and get rid of them or not and if you aren't then the good word is going to get choked out
1: yeah, and, and uh, I just want to do a quick search because as you were saying that, Gary, I couldn't help but think um, about that idea that the fallen nature of man is for thorns to be there. Uh, now, from simply... A, um, thematic standpoint we could go back to genesis chapter three yep. okay here comes my old testament roots
0: i'm sorry yeah, oh no, and that was i that i was too. thinking of it too oh, <laughs> uh, roots no no that's a good pun i'm a dad i'm in favor of that, dad jokes
1: there we go I, I, okay there we go it was a dad joke of bones dads yeah. um but genesis chapter three verse 18 thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt earth, eat the herb of the field and so we actually are getting a reference to the fact that we are going to have thorns in our lives um, and that those thorns are going to come to us regardless of how good we are because of the fact that we're in a fallen state. Uh, And it doesn't mean we're bad. I think that's something that we forget. Oh, man, I had that bad thought or, oh, man, I, I, I have these unkind feelings. I must be a terrible person or I must not be committed to the gospel. When in reality, it's just part of being mortal.
0: That's exactly right. And we
1: can be okay with that.
0: In fact, our bodies are programmed to have adrenaline come when something is perceived as a threat. Well, that's going to make you feel upset. I mean, that's 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 natural. Your body's programmed to be that way. It's programmed to respond to attractive people in some ways. I mean, your body is programmed to respond to all sorts of things, uh, and there's nothing wrong with your body working the way it's supposed to. The question is, what do you do then, right? Are you going to yeah. pull that weed out, or are you going to nourish it? and let the yeah. let the good word get choked out. So that's exactly right.
1: Good. Well, thanks to the help of modern technology, I can confirm uh, that in the Septuagint or the Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, the exact same words are used in Genesis 3.18 as what we're seeing here in Matthew 13.7. Uh, so we're using the exact same word for thorns and uh, we're seeing that root again, that onatello for sprung up. Uh, And so we're able to tie it in earlier. So um, the linguist in me just had to have an answer to that
0: question. And and, and and it is. It's the same. That's fantastic. So now you're bringing the linguist in me, and we'll have to do this another time. But now I want to go try and figure out what the Aramaic words for those would have been. right? Because he's not speaking in Greek. Whoever translates it into Greek sees the correspondence and gives us similar words. Uh, At some point, I want to go look. But my guess would be that there are some Aramaic words because... er, even more than in Greek, you get um, related words, uh, related roots. Ah, that's perfect to talk about roots, but re- <laughs> related verbal and noun roots in Aramaic more than you do in Greek. Uh, and so my guess would be that there is something very similar in Aramaic, which is what I would guess he's speaking here. I really doubt he's speaking Greek, but um, but I think the Greek can give us a clue to what's happening, po- probably happening in Aramaic. And and one day I'll look at it, it. Since we don't have a text to look at it, it will involve speculation. So I'll look at that some okay. point, but I'm curious now.
1: So. Yeah. Well and and if nothing else, we can say from at least a, an audience that's reading this text. Yeah. Uh that would have read the text in Greek, um, and would have had access to a Greek Old Testament, we, we can have plausible um plausible plausible speculation. That's right. uh that at least we can see a connection between the way in which the natural man is de- or the natural um, environment that Adam and Eve found themselves in um, parallels with just the natural environment that we're dealing with here uh, in yeah. this parable
0: that for sure is is the case yeah I agree
1: so um, again uh, and I think we've we've really talked about this is where our wherever our soil is there with verse seven um, that's those first three examples are the examples we don't want to have but I think again we should we should say that they're all natural soils uh, and if each seed is a different teaching, uh, we're going to receive that teaching a little bit differently depending on uh, where we are in our lives. Maybe we've just uh, uh, undergone a crisis and maybe our hearts are a little hard to teachings. Um, Maybe uh, we're going through a crisis of of understanding because we don't quite understand why things are the way they are about uh, this procedure or policy or this teaching. Uh, And it's okay. Uh, It's part of the process. I don't think... Uh, we often give credit enough to the teachings that in the scriptures uh, admit to the fact that we're human. Yeah. And uh, I want to emphasize in our discussion today uh, that I think that's part of the reason why the savior teaches us the way that he does. Um, and he doesn't just say a sower went forth to sow and I'm going to teach to the ideal. And the ideal is verse eight and other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold." Um, how much would we lose if we didn't have the others? And it's not that the other three soils are t- the bad soils, uh, but the, the other three soils are a natural part of human existence. They're part of us and we're working to do the best we can to cultivate the land. The land isn't naturally fertile, uh, as any gardener would know your land no. just doesn't naturally show up and say, Oh good. It's ready
0: to, to grow. I've got no rocks and I've got no weeds, right? There's no land yep. like that. And and there's no person like that. So just like even even a cultivated garden has different parts of it. There's a wayside, and there are rocks in every and thorns in every garden. In uh, every soul, there's all of these things. What we want to do is continually be working towards getting rid of the rocks, getting rid of the weeds, so that we become more and more the the fertile ground, or the yeah. most fertile ground. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, and this idea that we're bringing forth fruit um, is just the idea that it's interesting because all of that fruit is going to also have seeds. Uh, And so this is the idea that as we learn, as we take a teaching, we cultivate it in ourselves, it gives us something to give to others. Um, and, And we can then testify of the truthfulness of whatever that teaching is. Um, and sometimes we impact thirty people., uh, sometimes we impact sixty people. Um, if you're Carrie Mulhlstein, then you are able to impact hundreds of people. Um, and really? uh, and and so it's that idea that it doesn't matter what your scope is. Your impact, my impact, maybe in my little fold of thirty students in my seminary class, um, is still as impactful as your impact with a, a great podcast that helps get to more people than I'm able to get to in a classroom.
0: Well, and, and I think there's something else that maybe we can throw in just a little bit of realia here um, that comes from, you know, I excavate in Egypt, a, a cemetery that spans a time period that includes the time of the savior. And we found some, uh, some barley there. Um, that uh, is the kind of barley that, and it's from we we did some c14 dating it's roughly from the time of christ a little bit after but roughly the same kind of barley that they would have used all right and so this got me looking into how barley works and it turns out that in the savior's day um most so you plant a, a grain of wheat barley emmer those are the most common and barley's probably the most common in his day you plant it and then of course the stock grows up and the question is how many kernels are in that stock that's what you're going to eat and between 10 and 20 Times is your typical return there. All right, we've gotten to where now we get much more than that, um, because we've been able to engineer and and so on the the grain that we use. But so think about that. A good a good return is between ten and twenty fold. So now look at what he's saying when he says some brought forth forth the worst is thirty fold, some sixty, and some hundred fold. I mean, even today a hundred fold. That's you don't plant. Want and get 100 uh, kernels uh, out of that stock that one that you planted right so when he's saying 30 60 100 fold he's talking about unnatural production right he's talking about god blessed production and there's something really to learn from that as well that when we are the good soil what god plants in us he will reap something far beyond our own capacity to yield that far far beyond it if he can take you and do a hundredfold with you, that's the grace, right? That's the power of God, man. That's magnifying us. And that's a phrase we use a lot in the church. And it's not different from grace in a lot of ways, but, but he magnifies us. Uh, And I think that's worth thinking about.
1: Yeah. And, and I love that idea. And it's interesting when you compare Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, and I'm even going to just throw in here the gospel of Thomas for, for fun, but um, it's interesting that Luke only says a hundredfold. He doesn't say anything else. Mm. And so uh, it's almost an attest, uh, an attestation of what you're saying, Carrie, is that when God touches this and you let it grow, um, it, it, it you cannot comprehend how much the yield is. Um, um, Mark it, it remind, follows oh. Matthew, but... No, sir, keep going. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say Mark follows Matthew, but then you get an interesting phrase um in in the gospel thomas and again i recognize this is a later text um but it's interesting that they that in that text it's 60 or 120 fold and so (laughs) you're getting a a doubling
0: um
1: and and again if we're kind of comparing other parables um that sounds a lot like the parable of the talents right is that you're getting double um and so there's some that gets the one return, but then you get those who, who get the double return. Um, and and so I wanted to just kind of point to that instructive nature is the numbers, it, it doesn't matter which one it is. Uh, it's yeah. it's very much the idea that you're just going to receive uh, exponentially more than what you originally started with.
0: Ah, that's so important and so beautiful. In fact, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from President Benson that President Nelson just cited in our last general conference and i i don't think i'll say it exactly right but it's pretty close where president benson said uh men and women who turn their lives over to christ will find that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can right that's yeah. this another way of saying this same principle you let god prevail more in your life and you'll find he magnifies you in incredible ways exponentially as you said
1: yeah yeah and and maybe if we come back to where we started with this idea of a parable um I think that that may be the overarching theme of all these parables in Matthew 13. Uh, As we go through, um, the idea is is that God is going to do more with your life than you can do with it yourself. Um, And that you're going to become more um, if you allow him to prevail. Uh, The kingdom of God is going to be about those who let God prevail in their lives. Um, and so, if there is a common theme that we might look through as we go through other parables, like the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the treasure in the field, or the pearl of great price, I mean, in all of these sense, it's the kingdom of heaven is more than what you can do for yourself.
0: What a beautiful thing! And and that's in a way true about parables in general. Parables themselves can just keep yielding and yielding and yielding, right? And as we learn from the parables and let God prevail in our lives, as we hear him, make more time for him intentionally, let him prevail in our lives, God will make it. So we just keep yielding and yielding and yielding more than we are capable of of yielding. And I've seen that in my own life so many times where God uses me to do more than I'm capable of doing and to do it better than I'm capable of doing. In fact, maybe I'll just share this one thing. This is kind of funny. It happens to me all the time, um, where, uh, I'll be in a Sunday school class or I'll be someplace and I'll hear someone say, you know, they'll read something and I'll think, wow, that's really good. I, I That's I'm going to quote that. That is so good. And then they say that it was me that said it. Right. And uh, and that's what I know. Yeah, I'm not that good. I, I that's beyond my capacity to say that that was God magnifying me to say something beyond what is my natural uh, ability to say it. Uh, And I think we can all, uh, we all probably have had uh, that happen, and uh, we may not see it as often as uh, it's happening. Well, I would guess no one sees it as often as it's happening. But uh, when we turn our lives over to God, or we let God prevail in our lives, and we hear him, then, wow, the things he does with us that are far beyond what we'd ever be doing on our own.
1: Yeah. Um, And I just, I love that. And and it's interesting that you say that because i think in matthew 13 after the savior has taught these parables he's teaching in the synagogue and and along with what you just said in in verse 54 of matthew 13 whence hath this man this wisdom and these mm. mighty works um is that people themselves were astonished um at what the savior was teaching um and i think that we can all be in that that same um we can have that same effect and maybe not on a large scale. Um, Maybe we're not writing a book or we're not writing about these things. Maybe we're not even teaching these things, Uh, but we can have that spark of inspiration and write it in a study journal. We can write it somewhere in our lives and we can go, Oh, that was a great insight. And then when we go back, we go, wow, where did I come up with that? Where did that little nugget come from? And I think that's why it's so important for us as we're studying these things. Again, if we're being intentional, we, we have to not just let them be a fleeting thought. Um, going back to the parable of the sowers, we can't just let it be a flash in a pan. We have to catch it and we have to record it somewhere where we can review it and that we can have uh, the chance to review it when we need to. Uh, as we read through the Come, Follow Me manual, I'm always impressed. The the very first thing you read after the brief introduction is record your impressions. Yeah. Um, and time and time again, we're receiving that instruction. And so maybe this is a good time to stop and reflect and say, am I recording the impressions I'm receiving? Am I recording these things so that I can show the Lord? At President Nelson, again, when he talks about prayer and revelation, do you have a notepad sitting by your bed that when you receive that inspiration, you're writing it down? Um, Do you have that notepad by your scriptures when you receive that inspiration? Are you writing it down um, so that one, you can act on it, but two, you can review it maybe for another time when you need to know that you have been uh, inspired by God?
0: Uh, That's good. You know, I I keep thinking I need to do this. I heard someone else that did it and I just need to do it. They have just on their phone uh, in in the notes section, one that is uh, inspiration. Right. And, they, and when something comes in, they write it there. And then every now and then they stop and they say, OK, I need to look at that. Oh, wait, I didn't do that. Oh, I didn't do that. Right. that That's the kind of thing we should be doing. And I'll also say, I mean, there's some things that you may act on. You didn't even think to record. But but just think of this. If if you are magnified by God that to say something to someone and I've had this happen to me where someone said something that I don't they didn't remember saying and it, it just didn't seem like that much to them but it was what I needed in my life right at that moment. And uh, it made a real difference in my life. And if, uh, if section 18 is true and my soul is worth uh, something in the sight of God, then that person just did a great work as they were uh, allowed God to magnify them and to work through them. And I think if we'll all hear him, that we'll all have that effect on people, and we'll never know it, but, but yeah. we just have to believe we're having that effect so good so good yeah well thank you josh i appreciate it i love the parables i love the the setting i love uh what the savior teaches us uh, i mean it just it speaks to us uh, the all of these parables every time you read them there's something new for you and so i hope that i mean this is we've had a few parables now we're going to have a bunch more as we go along so i hope this is helpful for people as we start to just talk about parables that you'll you'll Try to let them speak to you in different ways and and weed things out of your life so that they can speak to you. And then you'll go write down the impressions that come to you and you'll do something about them uh, because I just believe that as we study these things that God is, is trying to speak to us. And I hope we'll hearken as it says or listen in, in uh, the Mark account um, and or hear him as it says in the President Nelson account um, <laughs> that, we'll, uh, that we'll let these parables do that for us. So thank you so much, Josh.
1: Absolutely. It was a pleasure, Carrie.
0: Uh, And to our audience, uh, we hope you found this helpful and that you'll write some things down and you'll also share it with some other people. So thank you and have a great day.